As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, happy Thanksgiving weekend. I trust that you had a good uh, Thanksgiving with family or friends. Uh, We had 18 Steiners in our house. 12 of them decided to spend the night. And somewhere along the way on Thanksgiving Day, I totally lost my voice. I didn't have my voice on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I went to bed not knowing that I was even going to be able to speak this morning. And so would you just pray? that God would strengthen my voice as I preach today. Why don't we begin with just a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, would you strengthen my voice by your power even now? God, I know that it's not my voice that's important. It's your Holy Spirit as you speak through your word. And so God, would you speak to us this morning as we uh, dig into your word today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, how many of you watched the Bears-Lions game on Thanksgiving Day? Anybody watch the Bears? Nothing feels better than beating a winless team, right? <laughs> and uh, can you imagine if the Bears would have gone out on Ford Field on Thanksgiving Day to play the Lions wearing Bulls uniforms? I mean, like having the basketball tanks and shorts and high tops. Or if the Cubs suited up to play ball at Wrigley Field dressed as Blackhawks. Hockey sweaters, pads, helmets, hockey sticks, skates. It's ridiculous, right? Because every piece of an athletic uniform is meant to give success. And the same is in the Christian life. It's been said that the Christian life is not a playground, but a battleground. Do you sense the battle uh, that we're in? that the Christian life isn't a Sunday walk in the park at all. But the spiritual realm is real and spiritual warfare is real. But God has given us everything that we need. He's given us all the equipment that we need for success, but we need to put it on. The title of this message today is Move with Strength. This fall, we've been a church on the move through the book of Ephesians. We've been working chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse. And here we come to the final verses in this final message of the series. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna be looking today at three actions to move with strength. So here is the first action. The first action is this, is that we need to stand strong. The enemy is not of this world. Follow along with me starting in verse 10. It says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. What's the first word in verse 10? It's finally. Think about all that Paul has already written to the book, to the church in Ephesus, all that we have already studied this fall in this series, Church on the Move. 
And the Holy Spirit is guiding the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus to talk about spiritual warfare. And he begins with this. He begins with, be strong in the Lord. Now, I don't want us to get so technical that I lose you, so stick with me. But be strong in the Lord is present, passive, indicative. An indicative is a command. Present is, it's present tense. It's continual. It's ongoing. And then passive is that we are the recipients. We are the object of the action. We're not the action itself. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, be strong in the Lord. It's a command. And it's to be continual, to be continuous. But it's not something that we do. That's why he says here, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, how do we access this strength in our daily life? Well, he continues on, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is our enemy, right? So the devil is not of this world, but he's very much in this world. That the devil isn't that popularized cartoon uh, caricature that's red and it's got the, the horns and the tail and the pitchfork. Don't think about that. The devil is not this character of fiction like uh, Darth Vader from the evil empire. The devil is not a figment of our imagination like the boogeyman. The devil is real. The devil is evil and the devil is is active. The devil hates God and the devil hates you. Happy Thanksgiving, High Point. <laughs> you know, where most churches this weekend are preaching a feel-good message about thankfulness, we're talking about the devil. Why are we talking about the devil? It's because we're committed to preaching the whole counsel of God, right? that we don't just preach the passages that we like. Believe me, there's a lot of other passages that I would rather preach right now. But because this is where we're at in Ephesians, that's why we're talking about it. But the reality is there's a lot of people that are living in defeat because churches don't always preach these passages. And we don't understand it and we don't live it. And so let's put on our thinking caps. Let's lean in to this message today. So we're talking about the devil. Uh, let's do some background on uh, the devil. Well, the devil first appears in Genesis chapter three, right? In the garden. And the last reference is in Revelation 20 when he's cast into the lake of fire. That the devil is mentioned in every New Testament book. The gospels record that Jesus encountered the devil. So where'd the devil come from? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah 14, it talks about how God created Lucifer as an angel and he was filled with pride and he wanted to become like God. And so God evicted him out of heaven and a third of the angels followed him becoming his demons. His judgment, their judgment is to come by being in the lake of fire for eternity. And so you might be saying here, well, why did God allow the devil to rebel against him? Well, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but perhaps it's because God wanted the angels to see and us to see that to not live by God's way doesn't work. That the devil wanted to do it his way and God let him do it. 
the devil and all those who will follow him will spend eternity remembering, reflecting on that rebellion against God doesn't work. And so with this as a background, we continue on in this verse 11 that we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, what are the schemes of the devil? Well, we don't need to look any further than looking at the names of the devil in the Bible. Let me share three of them with you. Uh, The first one is this, is that the devil is the accuser. He's the accuser of our brothers. And he has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God, Revelation chapter 12. That's who the devil is. The word devil actually means accuser. That the devil accuses, the devil condemns. The devil wants to fill your mind with regret from the past and shame in the present. But what does Romans 8.1 say? It says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so if you are feeling thoughts of condemnation in your head, they are not from God, they're from the enemy. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will what? Forgive us of our sins. And go one step further than that. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's not forget the end of verse nine. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so listen, brothers, listen, sisters, that you're not your worst moment. You're not your biggest regret. You're not your greatest mistake. You're not a failure. Even if you have failed by doing something or failed to not do something, failure is never final. You don't need to be defined by your failure. Why? Because God loves you. God has chosen you. God has forgiven you. God has redeemed you. And so where the devil is our accuser, Jesus Christ is our advocate. So what are the schemes of the devil? He's an accuser. The second scheme is that he's the father of lies, that you are the father of the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. There's no truth in the devil. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So the devil lies because that's who he is. That's who his character is. That the devil has been lying from the very beginning. It all goes back to the Garden of Eden, right? And that his schemes are the exact same. They follow the same pattern as they did then. They follow the same pattern now. And what's the pattern? To deceive, to cause doubt. So we'll disobey and experience death. So think about how that pattern works with the devil. He deceives us into making sin look good to make sin look desirable, to think that sin is going to satisfy. Then we begin to doubt. Did God really say? Is God trying to keep something from me? Is following God really the best way? 
And then we disobey because we give in to the deception and the doubt. And then we experience death. For sure in the future, physical death, eternal death. But we experience the consequences of our disobedience. And so this is his pattern. Deception, doubt, disobedience, and death. That that is his pattern, that is his scheme from the very beginning. Why? Because he's the father of lies. And it all begins with deception, deception that creates doubt. Like bait to a fish, sin always promises, overpromises and underdelivers. Sin never satisfies. That's a lie from the enemy. And the third uh, name that we're going to look at as it relates to his schemes is the adversary. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That the name or the word Satan means adversary. That that's who Satan is. That's who the devil is. He's our adversary. He's not for you. He's against you. And that he's like a roaring lion. He's on the prowl to seek, to kill, destroy. That he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage and your ministry and your morality. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy Christ's reputation. That's why we need to be sober-minded and watchful. We need to be attentive and alert because if we put down our, our guard, then we become prey to the roaring lion who wants to devour us. And so this is why we have as our first point is that we need to stand firm because our enemy is not from this world. C.S. Lewis uh, says this in the Screwtape Letters, that there are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can fall about the devil and his demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Let's think about this. Let's make sure that we don't, as a church, as individuals, we don't fall into two extremes. What are the two extremes? One is to overlook the devil and the, our enemy. And so we need to realize and be alert, be attentive that he is real, that he is evil, that he is active. So we can't overlook him, but we uh, can't at the same time, we can't overstate him. Uh, we, we need to realize that he is a created being, that he is limited in his knowledge. He's limited in his presence. That yes, he is powerful, but he's not all powerful. That you can't say the devil made me do it. That's just an excuse. That's blame shifting. We can't overstate the devil like that. So then it brings up the question, maybe some of you have, well, can Christians be demon possessed? Wow, we're getting a long way in this Thanksgiving message, aren't we? Well, think about this for a moment. That's a tricky question because the word possess has different meanings. If you were to look it up in Webster's Dictionary, it says this, it says, to have and to hold is property, to own, to bring or to cause to fall under 
uh, the influence or to control firmly uh, to dominate. So can, the, can a believer be owned by the devil? No, because we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and we brought into the kingdom of the son, which he loves, right? Amen. And so can we uh, fall under the influence of the enemy of the devil? Can we fall under the influence? Of course we can. We can be tempted. So then it brings to the third one to control firmly, to dominate. Can the enemy, can the devil, can his demons dominate us? Can they have authority over us? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be oppressed by the enemy, but you can't be possessed by the enemy. Why? Because Christ is the one that has authority over you, that you've been bought with a price. That said, if you have in your background, if you have the occult and witchcraft and Wicca, and if you have tarot cards and astrology, if you have some uh, generational sins, if you have habitual addictions in your life, you need to seek spiritual counsel. But know this, that because of the work of Christ on the cross, that Jesus is the authority and Jesus has given you authority that's why it says in James chapter four, it says this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. There's two things that we need to do. We need to submit to God and we need to resist the devil. When we do, he will flee from us. First John chapter four says this, that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. And so it's important for us to understand this truth, believers, is this, is that we don't fight for our victory, but we fight from our victory. What do I mean by that? Is that what Jesus did on the cross appeared to be Satan's greatest defeat, right? but it was wound up be, or his greatest victory, but it wound up being his greatest defeat and Christ's greatest victory. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead and that he showed his power over death and sin and he showed his power over Satan. And so Jesus Christ died and he rose again. He uh, has won the victory. And so we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. That that Satan is defeated at the cross. He's defeated through the empty tomb. I think that should get a bigger response at nine o'clock. That the devil is, I'll take another run at it. The devil is defeated on the cross and through the empty tomb. So the devil is defeated but the devil is not destroyed. That his ultimate judgment is coming. He's going to be sentenced to the lake of fire. But until then, he's wrecking havoc by accusing, by being deceptive as the father of lies, by being our adversary, trying to wreak havoc on as many lives as possible. That's why we need to stand firm 
because our enemy is not of this world. And when we understand that, then we understand this truth in verse 10. It says this. Next verse. It says this. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Notice this in the, in the plural, is that it's authorities, that it's powers, that it's rulers, that the enemy is set up like a military unit all following the commander in chief, the devil himself. So point number one is this, is that we need to stand firm. Our enemy is not of this world. And because the enemy is not of this world, that our biggest battle our biggest battle that we fight is not these things that you can see on the screen. Our biggest battle is not people. It's not culture. It's not politics. It's not circumstances. It's not temptation. Your greatest battle is not other people. It's not, it's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your parents. It's not your coworker, it's not your boss. It's not the person who has caused harm to you. It's not the person that you disagree with. That's not your greatest battle. Your greatest battle is not culture. It's not the uh, racial tensions. It's not how we address COVID. It's not gender issues. It's not politics. It's not the battle between Fox and CNN. It's not circumstances. It's not uh, your... Uh, finance is not your health. It's not temptation. It's not pornography and alcohol and anger and anxiety. That's not your greatest battle. Some of these things are symptoms for sure, but our greatest battle is a spiritual battle. And that's why it reminds us in verse 10 that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against authorities and powers in this dark world. So first of all, what we need to do is we need to stand firm. The second point is this. Are you sticking with me? Yep. Second point is this. Jot this down. Second action is that we need to fight hard. Our weapons guarantee success. That we need to fight hard. Our weapons guarantee success. Well, where do we see this in the text? Start with me in verse 13. Uh, or, uh, yeah, verse 13. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the um, readiness given uh, by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which uh, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that and keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that my words may be given to me in opening up my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There is a ton in there. So here is our point is that we need to fight hard because our 
weapons guarantee success, that God has given you everything that you need to have success. He's given you armor to protect you. He's given you weapons so you can take ground for the gospel. But this passage is not that God does everything and we do nothing. And it's not the reverse of that, that we do everything and he does nothing. That God provides the armor and he provides the weapons, but we need to put on the armor every day. And we need to pick up the weapons every day. Paul starts by describing uh, the weapons much like a soldier would be putting these pieces of armor on himself as he's getting ready to go out for battle. He first starts with the belt. The belt is the thing that holds everything together. Everything on the uh, soldier's armor was connected to the belt. The breastplate protected the abdomen and the heart. Uh, The shoes would have had cleats in them to keep them Uh, give them strong, stable footing uh, when they're out in battle. Uh, The shield, uh, historians tell us, was a large shield. It was probably four feet by four feet, protecting most of the body. The helmet, of course, protects the head, the brain, as well as the face. And then the sword would have been a small dagger, probably less like a larger sword, but a smaller dagger, that uh, the enemy would have. And so God has given us all of these elements so that we can stand firm and we can fight hard. And then the secret weapon that he's given to us, if you're following along in the text, what's the secret weapon? The secret weapon is prayer. So let's break these down. Let's look at each of these uh, pieces of armor, these weapons uh, that God has given to us. The first weapon is this. The first weapon is truth. Why is the first weapon truth? Well, because the, our enemy is the father of lies. He lies. That's all that he does because that's who he is. And so we need to, as believers, we need to identify the lies and we need to insert the truth. Well, truth comes from God's word, right? It doesn't come from human advice or popular opinion or personal feelings. It comes from the word of God. And so we need to know the truth. We need to understand the truth. We need to uh, believe the truth. We need to live the truth of our identity in Christ. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. And so we need to live by uh, the truth. The truth is the belt, the thing that holds everything together. The second weapon is this. The second weapon is righteousness. Theologians would talk about the imputed righteousness. It's our positional righteousness. This would be justification. But we also need to have a practical righteousness. We need to pursue right living That's what sanctification is. Warren Wearsby talks about this. He says this, when Satan accuses the Christian, it is the righteousness of Christ that assures the believer of his salvation. But our positional righteousness in Christ without practical righteousness is the daily, in the daily life, only gives Satan the opportunity to attack us. So when we say no to sin and we say yes to right living, we're winning the spiritual battle. When we say yes to sin and no to right living, then we're losing 
the spiritual battle. God has given us the weapon of righteousness. He's given us the weapon of the gospel. The gospel is our most powerful weapon because the gospel transformed lives, amen? And this is why uh, Paul says in Romans 1.16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. That the gospel transforms lives. It takes people who are lost Now they're found. They were guilty. Now they're forgiven. They were dead and now they're alive. And the gospel as our armor or our shoes, why? Because we're to be showing and sharing the love of Jesus everywhere that we go. Romans 10 talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. The third weapon that we have is this is the weapon of faith. Uh, The weapon of of faith is a shield. It protects us. It extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy that are seeking to defeat us and to destroy us. Like temptation and condemnation and uh, pride and all these deceptive lies that are coming uh, from the enemy. And so we take up the shield of faith and we trust that God's plans, that his purposes, that his promises are going to prevail. We take up this shield of faith, trusting that God's way is the best way. We take up the shield of faith personally, right? Each soldier had to take up the shield. You can't live by your grandma's faith. You can't live by your parents' faith. You can't live by your small group leader's faith. You have to have a personal faith. God has given us the weapon of faith. He's also given us the weapon of salvation. It's the helmet of salvation. If you think about it, all spiritual battles begin in our minds. And so every day we need to put on the helmet of salvation. I'm not saying you need to become saved over and over and over again, but every morning when you put on the helmet of salvation, you're reminding yourself that I'm saved, that I have victory in Christ, that I can live the victorious Christian life that God wants me to live. That's the helmet of salvation. And then we obviously have the word of God. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. It's defensive and it's offensive that it helps us in the attack of the enemy, but it also helps us to take ground Uh, for Christ. That Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, of discerning the thoughts and the intention of the heart, that the word of God is living and active. Is it living and active in you? That the word of God discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We're not just to read God's word, but we're allowed, we're to let let God's word read us. That when we read God's word, we see things about us that we don't see on our own. That it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That the word of God is an important piece of our armor. It's an important weapon. Jesus demonstrated this, right? When he was tempted, he quoted from scripture. And what's the secret weapon that we have? The secret weapon is that of prayer. Prayer is a uh, weapon that God 
has given to us. Uh, prayer isn't uh, to be something that we just do at the last resort, but it's to be a first priority, that we're supposed to be doing it every day, that it's supposed to be something that's a, a daily lifestyle in us. I love uh, worshiping here at High Point. I, I love being able to come into this room and to engage my heart in truths of God's word. And earlier today, we sang the song, Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham. Did you pick up some of the lyrics uh, from that song? It says this. So when I fight, I'll fight what? On my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And so prayer is a weapon. Do we fight our battles in his strength on our knees? Well, how do we use prayer as a weapon? Well, let's uh, look at this. We need to pray consistently in the text that says this, we're to pray at all times with all prayer and in the spirit. Pray consistently, pray attentively, be alert with all perseverance. Have you ever discovered that the enemy wants to distract you when you're in prayer? Am I the only one? My hand is up. I don't see anyone else's hand up. Pray strategically, interceding for all the saints. That we're not just to pray for others, but we're to pray with others. Oh, that we would be a church that when we're act, interacting with people in the lobby or in groups, that we don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you. But take a moment right there to pray now. So think about this as a weapon. Is this true in your life? Do you pray consistently? Do you pray attentively? And then do you pray strategically? In what ways do you need to grow in prayer? So let's review all the weapons that God has given to us. The weapon of truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer. These are weapons that God has given to us, but we need to put them on every day. We need to pick them up every day. As you look at this list, what areas have you neglected in your life? Which weapon although we need all of them every day. Which weapon do you need to focus on today? Tomorrow? This week? Again, we need to stand firm, that we need to fight hard. And the third uh, action that we need to take is this, is that we need to stay close. Our companions are by our side. That in this battle, we're not to fight alone, but we need others to stand by our side in the battle. And we need to stand by other sides in their battle. Well, where do we see this in the text? The final verses in Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 21. So that you, may, so that you also may know how I am, am and what I am doing. Tick this the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you who love the, our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. 
So Tychus was an individual who came to Paul in Acts chapter 20 and ministered to him. And now he's sending them back to Ephesus. He's sending them back with three specific things. Do you see it in the text? He's sending them back so that they would know how he is, one, how he is, what he is doing, two, and to be an encouragement. All of us need companions that would do that to know how we are, to know what we're doing, and to be an encouragement to us. Sadly, accountability has been misused and abused in the church, and so we want to reject and resist accountability. The reality is we need to redeem accountability because we need people that are in our lives that are staying close, that are checking in, and know how are you doing? What are you doing? and then seeking to be an encouragement. We all need people that are being willing to be an encouragement to us, to help us on those days when we're weak. We need people to exhort us when we're to be stupid, right? And so the enemy, what's one of his strategies? He wants to isolate us. Proverbs 18.1 says that he who isolates himself breaks out of all sound judgment and seeks his own desire. I think many of us can look and see how isolation has led to lots of consequences over the last 18 months. Emotional, physical, relational, spiritual consequences. Substance abuse and addictions are on the rise mental health issues, loneliness, depression, domestic issues. Why? Because we've isolated and we're seeking our own desire. The enemy wants to isolate us because the enemy is never for our health. health. The enemy is always about our harm. So the enemy wants to isolate us, but God wants us to live in community. Why? Because God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's created us to be in community with him and community with each other. That's why I'm such a firm believer of our growth groups. Because I need the encouragement, the accountability, the support, the counsel, the prayers from others. And if I need that in my life, you need that as well. I'm so encouraged by the progress that we've made even just in the last few months in our growth groups and where we're going with our growth groups. Many groups are maybe taking a break in this holiday season, but if you're not in a growth group, make a commitment now that starting in January that you'll get into one because God wants you to be in community. The end of January is our annual men's conference. The end of February is bold, our conference for women. Why do we do these events? So that we can be united together in community and so we can be empowered to live the Christian life. Derwin Gray is our guest speaker for the men's con in uh, January. He's an NFL, former NFL player. He's the senior pastor of Transformation Transformation Church down in North Carolina. He's written a book recently called God, You Hear Me. And in this book, he uh, shares this illustration about lions and how they attack their prey. That it's the male lions that are the protector of the pride but it's the female lions, the lionesses, that are the hunters. And the lionesses are very strategic. They're very intentional when they're on the prey. What they want to do is they want to get the animal that they're praying to be isolated 
from the pack that they're in. Because if that prey is isolated and removed from the pack, then it can be an easy attack. And what Derwin Gray says in his book, he says this. He says, dark powers desire to isolate and separate us from our herd, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who we are. We're the herd together. In Christ, we protect and we strengthen each other. He goes on to say that if these wildebeests, the, the animals that are the, being preyed, if they were to stay together and not to run away and to separate, but if they were to stay together and to be united, that they would not be prey to the lionesses. And same is true for us as believers. And so here we are, we come to the close of Ephesians. We come to the close of this series that we've been in all fall. I trust that God has been speaking to you through the book of Ephesians, through this series. And what is it that Paul is focusing on? Paul is focusing on the spiritual battle and he's focusing on the need for unity in the church. Could there be a more relevant message for us today in 2021 than to be aware of the spiritual battle that we're in and the need for unity in the church? And so here we bring this to a close and we see the charge. What's the charge? For us as individuals, for us as a family, for us as a church that's on the move. What's the charge? We need to move with strength. We need to move with strength. Why? Because we need to stand firm. Because the enemy is not of this world. We need to fight hard because he's given us every weapon for our success. And we need to stay close because God has given us companions to be by our side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we ask that you would help us to be able to see the invisible battle that's all around us, that we would be aware, that we would be alert. God, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of it because we know that you are the victor. And so God, would you empower us even this week to live not for victory, but live from victory. God, would we move in strength as individuals in our families and as a church because we're moving together, we're united together. And so God, would you fight our battles as we put on our armor and we take up our weapons. God, we, would we do so in your strength? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.